Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We're grateful to you, Lord, for your mercy that you have for us. We praise you for being such a good, kind, compassionate, and gracious God. I pray that as we hear from your word, you would give us understanding. You'd help us to see what you have for us. Help us to see the big picture. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, continuing our series, Mark chapter 5, starting today, Mark chapter 5. We are in the midst of four miracles recorded by Mark, the gospel writer, which are meant to showcase the sovereignty and the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever, uh, not whenever, but Mark, the, the author of this book, really enjoys grouping things together. He really enjoys bringing, you know, he'll, he'll bring a section of a whole bunch of teachings that are kind of related to each other, and he'll bunch them together. He'll take um, you know, a few, um, well, I guess a couple months ago, we studied um, four sections of, or five sections of Jesus having conflict with the Pharisees. And Mark just kind of groups them all together into a, a big bundle for us to kind of give us just like a rundown, kind of compartmentalizes. This is kind of his writing style because he's writing to a group of people. Um, he was writing to the Romans. These people were Gentiles and they were people kind of like us. They enjoyed things that were pithy. They liked it quick. They liked it kind of concise and, you know, give us everything the, like all in a little bundle and packaged up really good. That's, that's what we like. They were, I think they were a lot like us. So the four miracles that, uh, Mark is giving us are uh, Jesus calming a storm, healing a man with a demon, healing a woman with an issue of blood, and raising a little girl from the dead. Last week, we saw Jesus display his sovereign power over nature uh, and creation, as well as his love towards his disciples. And this week, we will see his power over spiritual forces in the world as well as his love towards lost people, lost souls, lost sinners in need of grace. Last week, we, we looked at uh, Jesus getting into a boat with his disciples after a really long day and heading across to the other side of the lake and knowing full well that a storm was going to come and ordaining that storm because he is a sovereign God. All things are for his purposes. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. They get in the boat, a storm kicks up, and the disciples freak out, ask Jesus why he doesn't care that they're perishing. He stands up and with one phrase, he muzzles the wind and the waves and creates a dead calm. We talked a lot last week about the promises of God that you will reach the other side. I just want to point out that in uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea. So yesterday or last week when we were talking about they, they would make it to the other side, they were going to make it to the other side, 
we find out in chapter 5, verse 1, that they did, which I find satisfying. Today, we're going to talk a lot about demons. And so before we really jump into our passage, I just want to kind of give uh, a very broad and very quick uh, explanation of who demons were and what their purpose was. So the demons were created at the same time as everything else in Genesis 1. They were created as angels. They were part of the angelic host that sits in heaven and serves God and praises him day and night forever and ever. But Satan, who uh, also called Lucifer, was a chief angel in heaven. He rebelled against God, turned against him, and persuaded a third of the angels to go along with him. All of this is found in Revelation chapter 12. So if you're curious about the fall of Satan and his, uh, and his servants, a third of the angels, that's in Revelation 12. The demons that we are encountering today in our passage are not the great Satan himself. They are not Lucifer. They are simply his servants. Um, they are, their role in the world is that they are opposed to God. They are opposed to his dominion. They are undermining his authority. They are seeking to destroy image bearers of God. Uh, you can read about them more in 2 Peter 2 and Jude 6, if you would like more. But ultimately, I, all I'm trying to do is just kind of give you an understanding. These are not um, little red imps running around. These are angels. These are powerful beings. They are not to be um, brushed aside. They are not. Ca you're not capable of brushing them aside. They are serious creatures. They are um, a terrifying thing. And this week, I hope that you will see that and that we can talk about how Christ has overcome them. Mark chapter 5. Let's start reading in Mark 5 verse 1. Please stand in reverence to the word of God. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came uh, to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. But he did not permit him, but said instead, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Amen. Please be seated. 
So they've gone from the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee down to the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee. This is a, an area which is controlled by Gentiles. And we know that's true because there were pigs feeding on the hillside. And if there's one thing that we all know, Jews and pigs don't mix. And so we know that this was uh, a part of Israel of, of, yeah, of Israel that was mostly populated by people who were not Jews and did not follow Jewish law or Jewish custom or Jewish religion. This is a place that is uh, intensely controlled by demonic power. We learn that from the crazy man, this man who was living among the tombs. Which, by the way, anybody who lives among tombs, that's, that's nerve-wracking. I don't care what culture you're from. Anybody who is comfortable living among the dead is a freaky person. Anyway, this was a, a place that was totally um, controlled by unclean spirits. The people there had no ability to stop this man. He was... No one could, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with a chain. He had often been bound with shackles and chains. People had tried to control this man. They had tried to give him, put chains on him. They had tried to stop him from terrorizing people, but they could not. There was no possible way. He would, he was gifted by the demons, uh, a supernatural strength. He was able to destroy iron bars with his bare hands. He would wrench the chains apart and break the shackles into pieces. That, the, the chains and the shackles, they, they would probably have shackled both his hands and his feet. And he was able to wrench all of those apart all at the same time. And he would live among the tombs and on the mountains and he would cry out. He would cut himself with stones. Other accounts of uh, Matthew chapter 9 and Luke chapter 8 tell kind of the same story, but just in a different, with a different emphasis, a different focus. And it says that they would, that this man would come out of the tombs and he would attack people who were going by. This was a, a crazy person who couldn't be controlled. People had to avoid the tombs. They weren't able to go there because of this man. I think when we read the Bible especially those of us who have been in church a really long time, we read these passages and we kind of go, oh, wow, that sounds terrible. We don't really put ourselves into the situation. So I want you guys right now to think of yourself as a disciple. Think about where the disciples were at this point. The disciples got into a boat, had a near-death experience with a hurricane. They finally, Jesus stands up and he calms the storm and they are more terrified of Jesus than they are of the hurricane that was about to kill them. They finally get to the shore. And you can imagine that after a night on, on the boat like that, the shore seemed like a really wonderful place to be. But the minute that they get to the shore, they go to get out of the boat and a crazy naked man covered in blood comes charging at them shrieking. Put yourselves in that situation. It says that it says later in the passage that the man was clothed and in his right mind, which meant that before Jesus had cast out the demons, he was naked and he would sit among the tombs and he would cut himself with stones. So imagine this. Imagine this wild man, a shrieking man 
coming towards you, naked, covered in blood. This is a very graphic and terrifying scene, especially if you're a disciple who has just <laughs> not died in a hurricane. I, I, you know, growing up in the church, I often had the, these sorts of things where I would sit there and I would say, oh yeah, that's kind of a, an, an interesting story. But if you think about the things that the Bible talks about, you think about the flood, Noah and the flood. There were thousands of people on the earth and they were all wiped out by a flood. Very graphic, very, you know, put yourself in the situation where you're watching that happen. We tend to read these passages and we tend to just kind of gloss over them as if they're mildly interesting. This is a very, uh, yeah, graphic. That's, there's really no other word for it. It's a very graphic scene. This crazy, screaming, shrieking, naked man covered in blood runs up and the instant that he sees Jesus, he falls down on his face and starts to beg. He goes from aggression to terror in an instant. He falls down in front of Jesus and he begs him. He says, what, what do you have to do with me, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torment me. I adjure you by God, don't torment me. This man who had been living among the tombs, who had been attacking anybody who goes by, who can't be contained by chains, falls down and begs Jesus not to torment him. Again, I think we also look at Jesus kind of the same way as we look at these passages. We kind of see Jesus as this nice sort of, he's got smooth hair and he's standing there and he's teaching people. But think about Jesus standing in front of this man, this man who falls down on his face and begs Jesus not to destroy him. It kind of changes our perception of Jesus, where Jesus is no longer this pacified teacher, calm, quiet, gentle man. He is now a terrifying presence for this man. This man comes before Jesus and he falls down on his, on his face and starts begging Jesus not to destroy him. Jesus asks him, what is your name? Not because Jesus doesn't know. Jesus does know. Jesus knows everything. But in order to make the legion of demons distinguish themselves from the man that they are tormenting. And the... The demon inside reveals himself to be a legion of demons. Now, Roman legions, which is kind of what this is referring to, were usually troops of about 6,000 men. This is a huge amount of torment for this man. He doesn't have just one demon. He doesn't have 10 demons. He has like thousands of demons, like 6,000 or could be 2,000, we don't, we're not entirely sure. It's not made super clear. All it is said is it is a huge number of demons. They beg Jesus, please don't destroy us, but let us go into the pigs. Don't send us out of the country. We want to stay here. We have a stronghold here. We have power in this region. Please let us go into the pigs. Let us enter them. And so he gives them permission. 
And they go into the pigs, and 2,000 pigs run off a bank and drown in the sea. The locals hear about it. The herdsmen, who are understandably rather shaken by this event, the screaming naked man falling down at the feet of a guy who just randomly shows up after a hurricane and commands, and this person starts to beg them, starts to beg him, they're, they're understandably alarmed at the death of their pigs, which happened immediately after this event. And so they go and they tell other people about it, and the other people come and they find out what's going on. And once they hear about what has happened and they see the man who they've been trying to control for probably years, he's now sitting there in his right mind, they get very uncomfortable. And so they ask Jesus to leave. Quite, quite a story, really. It's, it's pretty unbelievable. If you think about where this man started in the story to where he ended in the story, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, listening, hanging on every word that Jesus says, begging him to let him go with them. He doesn't even ask Jesus to wait so that he can go and tell his family that he's okay. He just wants to go with Jesus. That's all he wants. It's quite a, a dramatic shift from from what it was and it's all because of two things the sovereign power of Christ and the loving compassion of our Lord I want to talk about the things in this passage that really just display the amazing amazing power of the Lord Jesus Christ the demons go from attack to defend instantly upon seeing Jesus. Nobody could contain this man who was tormented by at least 2,000 demons. He runs up to Jesus and begins to beg him not to destroy them. That's impressive. I don't care who you are. Nobody is able to contain this crazy person, this person who is jumping out of the tombs and attacking people and cutting himself with rocks. But Jesus doesn't even have to do or say anything. Jesus just has to stand there. Jesus didn't tell the demon to fall down at his feet. He didn't say, bow before me. He just stood there. And the demon, who understood exactly who Jesus was, fell down at his feet. The book of James talks about demons. says that, you know, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Because nobody understands who God is better than the demons. They were in the presence of God. They stood before God, they sang his praises. But then they rebelled against God. So they understand both who God is and where their fate is. And so when these demons who are filling this man see Jesus they fall down at his feet because they know they know where they're headed they know who Christ is and what he is capable of he is capable of destroying them with a word at least 200 or at least 2000 demons sniveled and begged at the feet of Jesus I want to point out that this is not like horror movies 
where the priest comes in, he's shaking, he's holding his cross, and he's like, oh, the power of Christ compels you, uh, where it seems like there's kind of like a 50-50 on power, where sometimes the, the demons have the power, and sometimes the priest has the power, and sometimes it's hard to know. It's kind of like this yin-yang thing, where God is the good side, and Satan is the evil side, and there's you know it's up in the air who's going to be more powerful it's not like that Amen. jesus is standing there he's just standing there and these demons fall down at his feet and beg him not to destroy them Amen. because they know that he doesn't even have to speak and they will be destroyed the presence of christ was stronger than any chain that the people could attach to him People, groups of strong men had tried to hold this man down and chain him and hold him captive, and it was impossible. But Jesus, just standing there, was strong. I really want to hammer this home because I think that we kind of forget, we, we focus a lot on the love of Christ. We don't really focus on the power of Christ. But I would submit to you that if Christ is not powerful, then his love doesn't matter. It is only because... Jesus is powerful that we can trust in his love. It is only because Jesus is powerful that we know that his love will overcome our sin, can overcome our sin. It is only by embracing the power of Christ that we can truly know lasting freedom and peace from this world and from our sin and from the things that entangle us every day. These demons bow before Christ because they knew for a fact that they were destined to receive his divine wrath. And they wanted to put that off and avoid it at all costs. The wrath of God is a fearful thing. And these demons understood their eternal chains. They understood where they were going. They understood that this was not... Just going, God was not just going to wink them out of existence. That they were going to face his wrath eternally. That it would be the lake of fire, conscious, eternal torment. They knew this was their fate. I also want to point out that they had to ask permission to run away. Have you ever fought somebody so powerful that you had to ask them if it was all right if you stopped fighting them? Have you ever been up against somebody that you were kind of like, I'm feeling like I'm outmatched here. Can I go now? The demons had to beg him to let them leave. They weren't even allowed to run away without Jesus's permission. Amen. That is a powerful God. His enemies have to just do anything that he says, anything that he wills. His enemies, the people who are hell-bent, no pun intended, on his destruction and on his people's destruction. And Jesus gives them permission. They go into the pigs. They kill the pigs. And then the people come. And they're more terrified of Jesus than they were 
of the crazy, naked, bloody, screaming man who is attacking people. Doesn't make a lot of sense on the face of it. But when you consider this person, this man, who was going around and attacking people, and you see the man who is capable of stopping him dead in his tracks and healing him completely without a chain, without anything. He's just sitting there clothed and in his right mind. That's a little bit nerve-wracking. It's a lot nerve-wracking. Probably some of the people who came and saw what had happened were some of the people who had tried to shackle this man before. And they knew exactly how powerful the man who could not be shackled was. And that man was sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's frightful. It's terrifying. This is the sovereign power of our Lord. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. Nothing and no one has power that even comes close to matching him. The angels that God created are very powerful beings. They are. They are strong. They wield swords. They fight on behalf of God. They are they are terrifying creatures. People, human beings, when they see angels, fall down at their feet and are terrified. And the angels, when they see God, fall down at their feet, at his feet, and are terrified. That's how powerful our God is. And like I said before, if we don't know, understand the power of God, if we don't understand the absolute sovereign authority of Christ, there is no point in embracing his love. Because you have absolutely no assurance that his love will actually be effective to change you and to help you and to bring you home in the end. If God is not powerful, why pray? I've heard people say before, if God is sovereign, then why do we need to pray? Because if God knows what's going to happen and if God has already planned everything, then what's the point in, in worrying about it? But the, I think the real question is, if God is not sovereign, why bother praying? You have absolutely no assurance that he is actually going to be able to do anything that you ask if he's not powerful. Knowing and understanding that God is sovereign gives a new fire to your prayer. Because you know that God is absolutely capable of helping you in any way, shape, or form that you can ask. The loving compassion of Christ is displayed here in so many different ways. First, Jesus, it seems, only came across to this side of the lake to heal this guy. Because he comes to the other side, he heals the guy, and then everybody asks him to leave, and he does. He didn't have to leave. If he thought that he needed to do more work, he could have been, I can't leave, I have more work to do. But he didn't. His work was done. Jesus was so compassionate that he was willing to brave the storm, sort of, and come to the other side of the lake just for this one person to set them free. It's written in the scriptures, there is much rejoicing over one sinner who repents than of 99 sinners who, or 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Christ cares about individuals. Christ was willing to go across the lake at great inconvenience to himself and to his disciples. And he was willing to free this man and then leave. And that was it. That was his purpose. 
passages of scripture called Jesus the Great Physician. Making a house call. Making a house call. I like that. I would also like you to notice that he was willing to sacrifice 2,000 pigs for the sake of one man. He was willing to allow 2,000 pigs to go for the sake of this one image bearer. Because people are more important than animals. Uh, one, one person is more important than 2,000 animals. And Jesus was willing to come to this man. He was willing to take the pain away from this man and to allow those pigs to die for the sake of his glory and this man's good. He radically changed this man. He didn't leave him in misery. He didn't just kind of cast out the demons and kind of just leave him there. He brought this man, he cared for him, and he taught him. And he, you know, when it says that he was sitting at the feet of Jesus, it means that Jesus was teaching it. It means that Jesus was, was speaking to him and was caring for him as he was recovering from his ordeal with the demons. I would also like you to note that his loving compassion in that when people asked him to go, he actually did. He was actually willing to just go. He was willing to leave people in their fear. When people didn't want him, he was okay with that. He loved them enough not to force himself on them or to force his way into the region so that he could accomplish something. He allowed the people to be scared and he left. But he didn't just leave. He never just leaves. He takes the the man who had been possessed and he sends him out to go and tell everybody what Jesus had done for him. So he was compassionate in that he left, but he didn't leave them, really. He left this man, this man who had formerly been possessed by demons there, and he commissioned him to go and to tell everybody about Christ and about what Christ had done for him. So even though the people were afraid of him and ran away, Jesus didn't leave them to their fear and to their rebellion. Jesus left a man there who would reach out to them and share the gospel with them, share the good news that Jesus Christ was coming and that he had provided healing for this man. He said in verse 19, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He commissioned him to be the first missionary, really. He was the first one that Jesus ever sent out into the world to go and to tell people about what Christ had done. Every single missionary that has been sent out by God is a sign of the loving compassion of God, that God is not leaving people in their sin and in their condemnation and in their rebellion, but he is sending people to go and to tell the good news about what he has done. Don't be afraid. That's what I want to leave you with today. Our God is both incredibly loving and incredibly powerful. Which means that anything that you're facing, anything, is a drop in the pond, is nothing, compared to the bucket of God's grace 
the bucket of God's love. The two-ton bucket of God's love. I don't even know. Don't be afraid of the things in your life which are threatening to choke you and to crush you. Because our God is so powerful that 6,000 demons fell at his feet and asked for permission to run away. That's a very impressive display of power. Jesus was willing to go across the lake just to heal one man. Jesus will come and heal you and care for you. He provides for us now an even better healing than he provided for this man. He heals our souls. He gives us the gift of eternal life. For us, we have to repent of our sin, turn away from it, put our faith in the powerful God. Trust in his grace. Trust that his death and his resurrection was enough to pay the price because he is infinitely powerful and supremely loving. And now it is our duty as Christians to go and to tell others about the transforming love of Christ. This man was not allowed to just be healed. He had to be healed and go and tell. Jesus commanded him, go, tell your friends. This is something for us as well. We are not allowed to just be Christians. We are also commanded to go and tell others. It's our responsibility. It's what Christ has commanded for this man. It's what Christ has commanded for all of his disciples. Which means that if you have never told anybody about your faith, if you've never told anyone about Christ and about what Christ has done for you, you're living in sin and disobedience. And it's time for you to repent of that sin. It's time for you to tell people about your faith. It's time for you to tell people about this powerful and amazing God. This amazing, loving God who is willing to cross a lake just to save one man. Last thing I want to say, because we're about to sing the song Victory in Jesus. Christ is amazing. Truly I hope that through this sermon, you have picked up on the idea that Jesus is amazing. That Jesus doesn't have to do anything and he, and he is just amazing. He just stands there and he's amazing. And that he provides victory with words. He doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to make you do cartwheels and good works or anything like that. Your victory comes in Christ just by believing in Christ. Because he is amazingly powerful. And he is supremely good. And for this man, he made victory possible. And he made victory possible for all of us by giving himself on the cross, dying and rising to life. He has crushed the power of death and he has made it so that we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a great and glorious thing. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You sent your son to be our righteousness. 
to take the sin that we have committed, the sin that we deserve to die for, and you took it upon yourself. Lord, and you died for us. But you did not end it in death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death no longer has sting for us. Death no longer has power over us. The forces of darkness have no power over us because we are your children. We are your people. And you are supremely powerful. And you are incredibly loving and compassionate. I pray that we would carry that with us. And I pray that you would not allow us to be complacent. I pray that you would not allow us to sit around and be lazy. I pray that we would tell people about our faith and we would tell people about the victory that we have through Christ. That pain and sorrow come our way, but the sting of death is no longer because Christ has overcome by the power of the cross. I pray that you would help us to teach people your truth that we would not be overcome with fear, but that you would fill us with your spirit and give us the courage to be like the man who had the demons freed from him as he went into the Decapolis and told everybody that he could find about how great Christ was. Pray that you'd give us that same fire, that same drive, that same urge. In Jesus' name, amen.